Assalamualaikum. Welcome to the Muslim Centric Podcast with your host Aman Durrani. Today's episode is a really beneficial reminder by Ibrahim Rasul. He's a South African politician, diplomat and anti-apartheid activist who was a South African ambassador to the United States for several years, including the years covered by 9-11. He was a senior member of the African National Congress and was very close to Nelson Mandela. This episode is courtesy of the Islamic Society of Britain who arranged and hosted this online episode with Ibrahim Rasul. And the topic was God under conditions of danger and it is particularly relevant to us in this current circumstances of COVID and in Ramadan. We hope you find this very beneficial and please do like, subscribe and share the Muslim-centric podcast with all your friends and contacts. And our special guest today, as you know, is Ambassador Ibrahim Rasul. We're so honoured and delighted to have you here. Um, I start in the name of Allah, the most gracious, the most merciful. Peace and blessings upon Muhammad وسلم, and on his family and his companions. Now, without further ado, um, I'd like to welcome our speaker today, Ambassador Ibrahim Rasul. We're so honoured uh, to have you here. Ambassador Ibrahim was involved uh, in the South African struggle against apartheid and he met Nelson Mandela in prison where he was inspired to find human ways to strive for justice. He was politically involved, but always inspired to Islamic values. After apartheid, he held various governmental positions, including Minister of Health, Finance, and later was elected governor of the province that was 80% Christian. He was then sent to Washington as South Africa's ambassador uh, to the USA. Today, he is a senior fellow at Georgetown University and founder of the World for All Foundation, which seeks to make the world safe and di- world safe for difference and free of all extremism. Thank you. Um, I'll hand over to him now. A'udhu billahi minash shaitanir rajeem, bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen, wa salatu wa salamu ala ashrafil mursaleen, sayyidina wa nabiyina wa maulana muhammadin sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. My respected brothers and sisters, our dear host, the Islamic Society of Britain, represented by Rahmanis. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Peace and blessings upon all of you and a good afternoon and good evening to everyone else. We are in a special month, but we are in a special month in a dangerous time. Does this mean that we have to retreat from the objectives and the purpose of fasting and of Ramadan and of prayer and of standing and reading the Quran? Or does it mean that we are on the cusp of an even stronger connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Ramadan is that time of the month in the life of every Muslim where the soul has a chance to be regulated. This is the month in which we take stock of what has gone before, what have been our strengths, what have been our shortcomings, and we set out to improve ourselves and to regulate our souls. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah Teen that Allah has constructed us on the best of patterns, that we have created human beings on the best of patterns, but Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us as much that we are capable of falling to the lowest of the low, asfala safilin, 
and it's between this best of patterns that Allah has constructed us on and created us upon and this capacity to fall to the lowest of the low that we need to guard against, that we need to be able to regulate ourselves, that we need to be able to affirm that we indeed have the strength, that we have the will and we have the capacity to pull ourselves back from becoming of the lowest of the low and re-aspiring to being of the highest patterns on which we have been um, architectured. And it is in the spirit of the human being, it's in the nature of humanity that we have this capacity for absolute good, but we also have the propensity for wronging our own souls. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very, very clear when Allah says that when we were created, that I have blown of my own spirit into you, that we all carry this sacred divine part within us that constitutes our ruh, our soul, and that this is unblemished and this is what it is that drives us and makes us do good, makes us excel, makes us be believers. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala also knows that in our nature, Allah has also put a weakness um, that we are also capable of da'if, of weakness. And again, Ramadan is this month in which we have the ability and the opportunity to regulate our souls so that we may unblemish this ruh that Allah has blown into us and that we may pull away from the da'if, the weakness with which we have been created. And so this is the human nature. It's not an instinctive nature where we just do what is necessary. We have choice. And often that choice is between whether we are aspire to the best or whether we degrade to the lowest. And this is what Ramadan is about. And that is why in the ayah, um, which Sister Rahma has recited for us, it is very clear, Ya amanu, O you who believe, that fasting is an act of belief. We do it because we believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And kutiba alaykum siyam. We have ordered you to fast. And so fasting is in the second instance also an act of obedience that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us that we should be fasting. So it's an act of belief. And therefore, following that, it's an act of obedience. And Allah subhanahu says, as we have ordered those before you to also fast. And so it is also an act of tradition or imitation of what has gone before us, what has been enduring in time, and what has been eternal throughout the ages. In order that you may learn taqwa. So it is also purposeful. It has an outcome, and that is that we learn taqwa. And it is in this idea of taqwa that I think we have many different interpretations or translations. At its simplest, that we may learn piety, that we may learn to act divinely and to act correctly and to act in accordance 
with what is required of us. Yusuf Ali translates it as self-restraint, the ability to discipline yourself, the ability to regulate yourself, the ability to restrain yourself from your passions and from your desires and the ability to be able to really learn to govern your soul. On the other hand, there are many people who translate it as God-fearing, that we fear God. Now, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Hadith Qudsi that my anger, my, 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 my mercy precedes my anger, then Allah is not a God that wants fear from us. Allah wants devotion. Allah wants love. Allah wants reciprocation. It is not fear. The fear comes in, in the, another translation of taqwa, and that is God consciousness. It is this idea that Allah is all pervasive, that Allah is within us and without, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is watching us even if we cannot see Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And so this idea of fear comes not because Allah imposes fear on us, but because we fear transgressing, because we are accountable, that we know that Allah watches us. And so this idea, therefore, of Ramadan being a month in which we regulate our souls, in which we aspire again to the best of patterns and we desist from the lowest of the low, that we turn our back on our weaknesses and we lift our eyes to our aspirations to polish this ruh that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has inserted in us. This is, therefore, the purpose of Ramadan, that we may learn taqwa again and return to the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and shun what has defined much of our life before. And so, how does that become more meaningful, even more poignant? even more essential in a time of danger. And we live in this time, this dystopian time, this time of suffering and danger and fear that's external to us, where almost three million people are infected by a virus that they cannot see. A quarter million deaths have been recorded so far. The devastation to livelihoods, to incomes, to, um, to, to people's well-being goes beyond the health aspects. We find so many people deeper into poverty, inequality, ranging job losses, and so forth. And we are now dealing with a disease that we cannot say it is in the east or in the west, in the north and in the south, it's all over. We cannot say it's rich or poor, it knows no class. We cannot say that it's male or female because it knows no gender. We cannot say that it is young or old even though old, old elderly may be more vulnerable, but it is capable of infecting everyone. We cannot say that it is Muslim and, or, or Christian or Jewish or Hindu. It knows no religion, it knows no race, it knows no language. And therefore, it is an equal opportunity danger that has hit us. And we are not made for the kind of lockdown and the kind of isolation and the kind of physical distance that we are imposed under. And the lockdown where we are confined to our homes, we are made for family, we are made for congregation, we are made for community. And therefore it is unnatural that we are asked to confine ourselves 
to not go to the masajid, to not pray in jama'ah in the mosque um, and in congregation um, in the places of worship, except with our immediate families who share the house with us. But my dear brothers and sisters, I do want to say to you that the most inspirational moments have often come when people and prophets particularly, may Allah be pleased with all of them, when all of them have imposed silence, solitude, and isolation upon themselves. As Sister Rahma reminds us, it was in the month of Ramadan that the Quran was revealed when the Prophet ﷺ was in isolation, was in silence and in solitude in the cave of Hira, when the angel, angel Jibreel came and said, Ikra, read. I don't have to tell you other examples. Nabi Musa ﷺ, he came with a message of La ilaha illallah, but he needed the solitude of a desert in order to restrain his own temper because he had been guilty of acting instinctively when he rose up against one of the people of, of Fir'aun on behalf of someone who was his kin. In the same way, Nabi Yunus wassalam, had to go into the belly of the, of the whale in order that he learned patience because he was feeling impatient that his message of La ilaha illallah was not penetrating the hearts and the minds of the people of his time. And then he gets swallowed by the whale, goes into that isolation, conquers his soul, learns patience. And then when he comes out, he is ready to take that message further. And so in a very real way, we need to ask if that is the prophetic tradition, then how do we use this time of danger, this time of isolation, this time of solitude, this time of silence? How do we use it to reach our best? How do we use it to inspire the best? How do we use it to make a difference in the world? And in a very real way, when the world is commonly faced by this danger, we can now see who are making the difference in the front lines in the battle against coronavirus, COVID-19. And it's all over the world that at least four of the first doctors who succumbed were people of Muslim origin. And so now the world is able, without blinkers, to be able to see what it is that we are, what that we are about. And so the promise in the Quran, verily, out of difficulty comes ease. Out of difficulty comes ease. That's the promise of Allah. That when you have conquered this difficulty, you must have created the conditions of ease. And maybe the conditions of ease could be that we are now looked as, as more equal than the Islamophobic lenses that saw us before. Maybe now we begin to see that all races are equal as the discrimination against brown people hopefully recedes. Maybe now they can go back to the prophetic traditions and look at the hadith of Rasulullah that have 
1400 plus years ago already told us what are the protocols when disease strikes. Maybe now the world is ready for an unblinkered view at this phenomenon that they have feared, that they have sometimes hated, called Islam and Muslims. And so we need to use this moment of solitude, of silence, of isolation, of distance, in order to understand how will that ease for Muslims, how will that ease for humanity present itself in later, in later times. And the one way is to look at the Quran not just as a book of healing or a book of laws or a book of inspiration or a book of histories. It has to be comprehensive. Allah subhanahu wa tells us in the Holy Quran, that in the revelation of the Quran, there is for the believers a shifa, a healing, and a rahmah, a mercy. You see, it's not that the Quran is a pharmaceutical book that has the vaccine, that has the antidote, that has the medicine. It is that in the Quran, we need to look through that revelation in order for us to uncover the deeper meanings of the Quran, to uncover the preventative measures as well as the curative measures, the healing of the soul that must precede the healing of the body. And so when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Ramadan is the month in which was revealed to you the Quran, as a guide for people, not for Muslims, a guide for people, a criterion between right and wrong, and the guidance. Then the healing comes in our ability to listen out for that guidance, for that healing. Because sometimes our approach to the Quran is like we approach a supermarket. We like to go to our favorite aisles. We then choose our favorite products in those aisles. And we, we then choose the brand names that we like most. Or sometimes we take the one that is the least costly to us. What the Quran is requiring of us is to not confine ourselves to what is uppermost in our consciousness, uppermost on our needs list, uppermost in our bucket list. The Quran wants us to hear the full message of the Quran. I'm reminded of a very dark period in my own life. 33 years ago, when I was arrested by the apartheid security police and spent four months in solitary confinement, I thought it was the end of my life. I had to fortify myself against interrogations by the security police. I had to stop myself from becoming insane. I had to really keep my mind at its peak in order to withstand the questioning that was coming my way. And the only resource I had in that three meter by three meter cell in which I was, was a Quran. That Quran, I turned into a program of life. 
And I'm only saying this to you in order that you may see this Quran as a resource. That Quran 33 years ago was so worn out at the end of that one and a bit year that I was in prison that this is what it looks like um, today. Written in, scribbled in, in order for me to make sense of my time in prison. In the mornings after Fajr, I taught myself some khibs. I did not memorize the entire Quran. I memorized my favorite surahs. After that, I would just do a tilawatul Quran, just complete as many cycles of the Quran as I could. After that, I would do my own version of making sense of the Quran's English and making notes on the side. And in the evenings, I would do an index on toilet paper um, in, of the various themes in the Quran. And that's how the Quran not only kept me busy, kept me sane, but allowed me a glimpse into its meaning, allowed me different interpretations, shifted me from my own political preoccupations because I was an activist. I wanted to bring justice about. Those were the ayat which had up till then captured my soul and my mind. And then I began to see other meanings in that Quran beyond my comfort zone. And maybe inshallah, that's what we can do in a period of lockdown. How do we shift out of the comfort zones of the ayat and the verses that we are, are really um, focused on? And so the Quran does not only tell us that it should be read. The Quran also tells us, for example, that the best time to stand in the reading of the Quran is, for example, in Surah Muzammil, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, tartila, and recite the Quran with measured, rhythmic, slow tones, so that the meaning can come to you. Sometimes we get so obsessed with having to finish the reading of the Quran in the month, that we don't pause for meaning, we don't pause for impact. Secondly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to us that rising by night to reflect on the Quran is the best time to govern the soul. It's the best time to govern your soul and to frame the word and to begin to understand what is being said. And the only reason Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran is because Allah continues in Surah Muzammil because Allah says by day there is for you the preoccupation with ordinary duties. You are distracted. You are so busy. You are at everyone's beck and call. And therefore Allah suggests the nighttime. But if you in this time of coronavirus, in this time of COVID-19 and solitude and silence and isolation, if you can cut that clarity, that clear moment out for you in the day, to hear that word that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, then we can access the Rahmah and the Shifa, the mercy and the healing that Allah promises us is in the Quran. And so we need to understand how this conversation with Allah could unfold because now the Quran is our access to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
we need to frame that conversation. Allah gives us the preferred mode of reading. Measured, rhythmic. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us the best time for reading. In the night. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives us more than that. Allah gives us the condition to read when you are not distracted and preoccupied. And then Allah gives us the promise of the shifa, the healing, and the rahmah. I really came to understand this when I was reading the ayat pertaining to fasting in the month of Ramadan. I first grappled with this notion of taqwa because I too simply accepted that taqwa means fearing God until I understood that how can Allah be latif, the gentle and the kind, but wants fear from us. I then asked, how do I access this gentleness? How do I access this kindness, this mercy, this forgiveness? And then I began to understand that in those verses, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to us, when my servants come to you and they ask about me, I am indeed close to them. In a hadith, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, um, says that Allah is closer than our jugular vein. Allah is close to us. So Allah is available to us. The question is not whether Allah is distant or available. Allah is available. The question is, are we distant or available? Are we preoccupied or available? Are we on call or distracted? And so we've got to change it around. It's not the proximity of Allah to us, but the proximity of us to Allah. And in the absence of human interaction, where we can be really admiring of the rhythm of the Imam reciting ahead of us. Maybe now we should be admiring of our recitation with meaning. Maybe we are jostling in a hot masjid for tarawih. Maybe now in the comfort of our homes, we can be in proximity to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues on that verse and says, I listen to the prayer of all who call on me. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, there is no mute button. Allah listens to the call of everyone who calls on Allah. But then, and often we end there, and that's where we finish hearing, we're just happy and grateful that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is listening to us, listens to our calls, listens to our petitions. And then we move and we proceed and say, Ya Allah, I have this problem at work. Ya Allah, I have this need. Ya Allah, I have this bodily problem. Ya Allah, I'm struggling with this. Ya Allah, I'm in financial difficulties. Ya Allah. I'm... And so we overwhelm the conversation as if it's a monologue. As if Allah subhanAllah has invited us to a monologue, a one-way conversation. And we miss the next part. Fal yastajibu li. Let them too 
with a will. Listen to my call. So often we are so preoccupied with our needs, our wants, our desires, our shortcomings, our need for forgiveness and mercy. And that's all legitimate. But we can be so preoccupied that we miss the next part, let them too with a will listen to my call. Because in a monologue, we miss what is coming from the other side. When our hearts are so full, there's no space for Allah's inspiration to enter it. When our minds are preoccupied, there's no space for Allah's clarity to enter it. When our bodies are so distracted, there's no place for Allah to direct it. And therefore, we need to understand this conversation that we have this unique opportunity in this month of Ramadan, especially under conditions of isolation, solitude, and silence, that we can open this two-way conversation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And therefore, we need to determine in this month, how are we going to change the tone of the conversation with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? How are we going to use the absence of distractedness and preoccupation in order to govern our souls. Because part of listening is then also to understand how can we build this accountability, this, you see, the remembrance of Allah is very beautifully the afkar that we make, the formulas for remembrance, the formulas for salawat that we make. But the true remembrance of Allah is to understand that Allah is ever-present, available to us. Allah is ever-watching, and we are accountable to Allah. That Allah is interested in how the dial shifts between the best of patterns and the lowest of the low. Where we are and how in control we are of that dial, whether we can push it to the highest pattern or whether we allow it to fall to the lowest of the low. Allah is very interested in our ability to govern our souls by being able to say, I will conquer my weakness, the state of da'if that I'm in, and instead polish the ruh that is there within us, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, 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 has placed and blown into our soul. And therefore, we need to understand if Ramadan is this month in which we are able to get the vertical conversation in order, the conversation between ourselves as human beings and our Creator Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, this vertical relationship, we need to understand that the healing that comes also means that we must be a horizontal benefit. How are we able to make an impact on the world that we're in? And so often in this month of Ramadan, when we come to Laylatul Qadr, we will all be saying it's on this night or that night that the first revelation came, Ikra, read. But again, and this is where Muslims and Islam does not stand back for science because Islam is intrinsically rational and scientific. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in Surah Rahman that we have fashioned this earth on courses exactly computed. So we are not, we can never be anti-science. We want humanity in science, but we are not anti-science. And therefore, on that night of Laylatul Qadr, we must understand that that first revelation was Ikra, read. Following that, Allama bil Qalam. Allah has taught us the use of the pen. So when you read and you learn things that others have given you and you read the Quran and you learn things and the hadith and the science books and the philosophy books and the astronomy books, etc., etc. When you read that and you have such understanding that you are now capable of Allama bil Qalam, the ability to, to use the pen. Now you've got to write. Now you've got to disseminate what you know. Now you've got to spread knowledge across the world. But very importantly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala follows that up with the idea in that same revelation, Allah also teaches you that which you do not yet know. Meaning the ability to research which other worldview in its founding revelations provides us with the entire corpus of intellectualism, of rationality, of knowledge, of information, of wisdom. Which other worldview has an entire program for reading, writing, and research? And that is why it is sometimes disappointing that from our ranks, from the ranks of the Ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, where this entire intellectual program, scientific program, rational program was born, that we can have people acting anti-science, anti-knowledge, who want to reduce us to imitation only, who want to reduce us to only doing what is bequeathed by tradition, that they are unable to extract from the sources of Islam, the values and the objectives and the principles and the intents and applied across time to time. Because this Quran that was revealed initially in this month, its beauty is that it is universal in space, eternal in time, and adaptable to circumstance. That's the reason that the student of Imam Abu Hanifa, may Allah be pleased with his work. Abu Yusuf, only 10 years after studying at the feet of Imam Abu Hanifa, when he moved to another place in another time, he changed some of the fundamental things that his teacher had taught him. And his reason was because there's a difference in time and space. And yet, the anti-science, anti-intellectual projects that sometimes comes up in the name of Muslims want to take us back in time as if Islam cannot adapt to what is today. That's where the healing comes from. They want us to believe that coronavirus is a punishment from Allah and not 
a creation of human mindlessness, that we are so mobile, that we are so often unhygienic in the way in which we interact, that we are so on the move constantly, that we are able to take disease from one part to the other. And as I conclude, I want to say to you, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this month of Ramadan a special month. No month comes by accident in the conditions in which we find ourselves in. It is not coincidental that there is coronavirus and Ramadan. It is there for us as an opportunity to purify our souls, to get to the best of patterns, and in order for us to be, again, a healing and a rahmah, a shifa and a rahmah for all of humanity. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless us in this month of Ramadan. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make the solitude, the silence, and this isolation a blessed um, situation for us. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep safe all our elderly. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala keep safe all those who are immunocompromised um, with diseases and other illnesses. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us adhere to the instructions um, for all of us to be safe. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala protect us from the coronavirus and protect us from all other illnesses and afflictions that may come our way. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this month a month in which when we look back on it, we will say it was one of the most meaningful Ramadans we have ever had. Wa akhiru da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Oh, thank you so, so much for such a profound and inspiring talk. I'm sure um, everyone, as, as well as I, I feel so touched and inspired that I had the honour of listening to you then. Um, one of the things that really struck me was your, the Hadith Qudsi you mentioned um, about Allah's mercy preceding his anger. Um, and it just made me think that Allah isn't, he doesn't want fear from us and he wants devotion and love. As you said, he is a Rahman, the most merciful. And when I remember that, it really, it really brings peace into my heart. Um, again, your four months in solitary confinement and hearing that story, um, it really touched me. And just in your Quran as well and how much you thumbed through it and how it was a light and a guidance to you. I think um, we can all take lessons from that.